If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. White House, honoring one of America's finest warriors, President Biden awarded the Medal of Honor to Captain Larry Taylor for conspicuous gallantry today with a ceremony in the East Room. Captain Taylor conducted a daring rescue to reach a group of four Army Rangers in Vietnam in 1968. He was flying a Cobra helicopter with the shoulders hanging on the outside. The Medal of Honor is the nation's oldest and highest recognition of valor. Congratulations, Captain Taylor. On Balance with Leland Vitter, it's coming up next. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. See you tomorrow night. On the program tonight, crisis in the classroom. New York City schools scramble to make room for a fresh wave of illegal immigrants. What will sanctuary cities do now that the border crisis is in their town? The dam burst. I don't know how to get it clear. Hold, please. 911, what's your emergency? Austin, Texas cops tell robbery victims not to call 911 because they're too busy. What happens when police don't pick up the phone? Newsom Watch, the California governor's updated energy plan, could be new proof. He's running for president. We need to stand tall as Democrats. Why Republicans should be worried. Desert exodus. This is a disaster like never been seen at Burning Man. The media melts down over 70,000 Burning Man festival goers stuck in the Nevada desert. Why they care so much about the most privileged Americans now stuck in the mud. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, it is here. Back to school. The first day of school for so many. It was always a tragic day for me growing up. But the sad reality is now setting in for parents across this country. They are realizing that the border crisis has come to every city in America and is now causing problems around the number one issue for everyone, our kids. Schools opened today in New York, Boston, Washington, Chicago, and countless other sanctuary cities around the country. Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of young kids who came across the border illegally are packing now already overcrowded classrooms. In New York, for instance, the city is struggling to place 500 more migrant students that came over the summer. That's in addition to 19,000 school-aged kids who enrolled in New York public schools over the last year. We have been meeting with the UFT and we have been meeting with the state um, to talk about how do we meet this, the need that we have now, this immediate need of having more teachers. Um, So there are more teachers that are prepared to meet the need, Spanish speaking teachers. Um, We will be having some announcements that will be coming up very shortly that we think are going to be really exciting. Um, that will, I think, will really serve to address some of the challenges that we're facing right now. Challenges is putting it gently. 
Aside from the obvious teacher supply issue, classroom shortages are ever-present. A lot of these kids don't speak English. You heard them talk about the need for Spanish-speaking teachers. Those are hard to find. Many of these kids are not used to traditional schools, and the schools near the shelters are hit the hardest. So there's people who are in New York whose own kids are going to have real problems getting education. The list of problems goes on. WABC in New York reports many of the migrant kids get waivers from the city's vaccine requirements. Staten Island officials say they're concerned about unvaccinated asylum seekers in schools. Staten Island Borough President Vito Facella, we think that if you're going to impose a standard on ordinary citizens, that same standard should be imposed on individuals who come from 120 different countries and want to show up on day one for school. Hard to argue with his idea of fairness. In other words, Democrats now fight amongst themselves over what used to be a signature issue. What's more important, welcoming illegal immigrants or vaccines? Axios, of all people, calls it Biden's blue state crisis. Of course, it's not just New York. In Chicago, 433 people sleep at O'Hare International Airport. Thousands of other illegal immigrants sleep at police stations. Denver residents don't like the mayor's short-term housing sites for more than 16,000 migrants in Washington, D.C. The mayor asked for help from the National Guard. Long ago, the nation's capital said they couldn't handle any more people. And on Martha's Vineyard, just a few families were able to gain employment after 49 families showed up. Some as young as two were, of course, deported almost upon arrival from the upscale island last summer. And Democrats now blame President Biden for the crisis. Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois tells Axios, I wrote to him in May, so it's been like four months, but I hope to find out. Mayors and governors deal with these problems on the front lines. They aren't happy. Places that had luxury had the luxury to look down their nose at border states now say they can't handle it. We find ourselves in this situation, and it's unsustainable. For this reason, today I am declaring a state of emergency in Massachusetts. They won't tell us how many infants, children, seniors, or families are on board. They won't tell us what route they take or when they will arrive. They won't provide any information that would actually help their fellow Americans welcome and care for these human beings. And there was never a desire to have anyone sleep outside. The dam burst. I don't know how to get it clear. We you know for... For a a year and eight months, no one was sleeping on our streets. I stood up at this podium day after day stating that eventually the dam is going to burst. So to continue the mayor's analogy, an estimated 1,000 migrants arrive in New York every day. Joining us now, Vicki Palladino, councilwoman representing Northeast Queens. All right. uh, How bad is it right now? Uh, How bad is it? It's awful. Uh, We passed how bad is it uh, about uh, eight months ago. Uh, We are out of control. It is absolutely, totally out of control. We have tried. We have failed. We tried hard, uh, but we failed nonetheless. And now we're looking at 20,000. And as you stated very clearly before, uh, in my borough alone, the borough of Queens, we have approximately 500 kids in my borough uh, down in a, an area called Jamaica where they're waiting around the corner, 500 a day, a day. 
uh, wow. to get into our, uh, to get into our public schools. So all right, we so are. Do, do, you, do you understand it, it all? The the sense either of uh, kind of well, you brought this upon yourselves, or too bad now because El Paso has been dealing with this for five years. And d- during that time, New York said, oh, we're a sanctuary city. Of course, those those cruel people in Texas who don't want people coming across the border are just horrible human beings. It now feels a little bit like, well, I don't know. It feels what? Sour grapes? I don't know what the right term is. Well, you know, you said it. Uh, they have been dealing with it down in Texas now forever, it feels like. Uh, we have been, we have been, we've been dealing with it for a, a year, a year and eight months, the mayor just stated. Uh, you know, sour grapes. Look, you know what? We said, come here, come on in. We have it now. Uh, and we don't know what to do with it. So nobody expected the influx that we've gotten, uh, the invasion that we are putting up with each and every day. And there's no control over it. No control at all. Uh, it's time for the Democrats in this state to put on their uh, big boy pants, big girl pants, and toe the line. And uh, by that I mean stop the buses, close the border. Uh, it's not going to happen. But if you come back to your original subject, which was our kids going to school, uh, we are not prepared. You mentioned earlier in your intro about language. It's not just the Spanish, the one language. We're talking about 11 different languages right now, right now, 11 different languages, which our teachers are not prepared for. Uh, it was also stated by the chancellor that we don't have enough teachers. Absolutely right, 100%. School here, uh, parochial school starts uh, tomorrow, and on Thursday, public school opens. We have 1.1 million uh, New Yorkers who attend our public schools. Now, add on to that uh, the influx of the migrants, and you have yourself a real mess. Yeah, well, you think about this, and this has been repeating itself in city after city across America. You use the word invasion each and every day. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when Democrats said that Republicans who use terminology like that were racist. You know, it's very easy to sit back and call names. But now, you know what? They came out with a poll and there's 82 percent of the Democrats that aren't real happy with the way this situation is being handled. So uh, to hell with your names. Because we're not buying it anymore. This is not racist. This is unsustainable. Change the verbiage. The verbiage no longer. I I, I want to get to one quick thing. In Staten Island, and this is where a lot of cops and firefighters live, also a a relatively conservative area for for New York, there have been mass anti-immigrant protests. And look, you've you've laid out a case of why people would be very angry. I I just wanted to get a couple sentences from you on... If we're going back to the bad out, bad old days, are we are we going back to the the Irish, uh, you know, the Irish versus the Italians and the the idea of real clashes in New York over this issue? No, this is a totally different issue. Uh, back okay. when the Irish and the Italians and the we migrated here from Europe, uh, it was controlled. There was a certain amount of control. Ellis Island, uh, you know, you came through. You had to be sponsored. Uh, you had to work. Uh, you weren't coming here for a free ride. You were coming here to be an American. Uh, you didn't have 10, 12, 15 different newspapers in 12, 15 different languages. 
Uh, look, we're a nation of immigrants. We welcome everybody. However, this is no longer this is no longer a sustainable, heartless situation. Uh, this is uh, let me separate that. Sorry, this is no longer sustainable. This is not a heartless situation. This is uh, a stealing. No, you know, look, you make, you make a great. You make a great point. And, and look, to be fair, there were a lot of people who were well-intentioned, who wanted to try to welcome people. And then this, the politics aside of it. Vicky, thank you. Uh, we'll talk soon, all right? I look forward to it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I enjoyed it very much, as usual. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. The looming United Auto Workers strike puts President Biden in the middle between his two core constituencies, union workers and climate change progressives sit at odds of the electric vehicle debate. They said odds of almost everything. And Union Joe does not know who to back. The union will strike all three major American auto workers on September 14th. They want 40% pay raises, cost of living adjustments, reinstated end-tier wage systems, and a 32-hour work week. But President Biden isn't calling the heads of the big three automakers to demand action that we know of. He isn't talking about how a strike would shut down hundreds of suppliers and put hundreds of thousands of their workers here in the United States out of a job. He's essentially saying, don't talk about this, never mind, not a big deal, because he believes it won't happen. The strike not happening is news to the United Auto Workers president, Sean Fain, who, hard to imagine this, the UAW president today distanced himself from President Biden. By that reaction, uh, you know, he must know something we don't know, but uh, um, uh, maybe the company's plan on walking in and, and uh, giving us our demands uh, on the night before. I don't know, but uh, uh, he's on the inside on something I don't know about. All right. According to Sean Fain, uh, our intent is not to strike or to attain a fair agreement. That's been our intent from day one. Mr. Biden's intent may not be for this to happen, but his policy says something else. The administration's singular focus on climate and thus electric vehicles puts him at odds with the union. China owns EV manufacturing and particularly the battery market. You can't make EVs without China. Richard Goodstein joins us, Democratic strategist, former advisor to Bill and Hillary Clinton. All right, so who is he going to pick? Is it the union workers or the climate change folks? Fact is, both are, have endorsed him, both are strongly behind him, and there's a good reason for that. As you know, Leland, um, under Biden's presidency, in just two and a half years, seven times more jobs have been created than the last three Republican presidents combined. Oh, come on. It's a, the economy's reopening from COVID. No, Please, no, no, no. On. A lot of those jobs were not forecast before COVID. Some, okay? uh, and, he, and you look, he's the pro-labor president for a reason. He's the one who's, who's cheering on the unionization at Amazon. He's just uh, propo you know, proposed a rule to bring overtime to over three and a half million more workers. And the environmentalists have endorsed him as well. The United, the um, Natural Resources Defense Council, I'm, 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 voters, I'm Bernie Sanders, Richard, they're all for him. Richard, it's very clear that there's a big distance right now between the UAW and Union Joe. We heard it in the soundbite. You mm -hmm. can't deny that. Yes, look, the fact of the matter is, remember, we were supposed to have a rail strike at the end of 2022, and we didn't because Biden played it just right. We were supposed to have a UPS strike recently. We didn't. That was averted. And I'd like to think behind the scenes 
Biden's doing something now that will avert this. Might we have one? Of course. And did the, United, did the UAW like him saying it's unlikely? Of course that, because it tends to undercut no, 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 their negotiating no, 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 position. Okay, fair enough. And look, credit where credit's due. And I was skeptical when Secretary Buttigieg said he didn't think there was going to be a rail strike. And there wasn't. Fine. Fair enough. Um, although it required uh, Congress having some uh, having their own input there. Dot, dot, dot. Um, Union workers have been leaving the Democratic Party. You can't deny that. It's why Donald Trump won in 2016 and union workers abandoned Hillary Clinton. We've got the data. Donald Trump just put this post. Sean Fain, the respected president of the United Auto Workers, can't even think about allowing all electric cars. They will be made in China. The auto industry in America will cease to exist. There's already a giant e-glut. They don't go far or long. They're very expensive and the consumer must be given a choice. Vote for Trump. And I will stop this madness immediately. Mexico and Canada love Biden's idiotic policy. Save Michigan and the other auto states. Save the American consumer. To be fair, and I know how you feel about Donald Trump, where is he wrong in that statement? What Donald Trump said is something he might have said back in the 1970s when the auto companies resisted emission standards. They fought it tooth and nail. And what happened? They succeeded to a certain extent. So we had the Clean Air Act. But in the meantime... The Japanese auto companies and the European auto companies cleaned their clock. The percentage of sales of, of uh, U.S.-made cars dropped dramatically, and they, they'll never be able to make it up. And, and everybody knows that if you go worldwide, electric vehicles are the way of the future. And I think the UAW knows that. Certainly the auto companies know that. Of course, they're you, trying to drag saying, that out. I, I get you saying it's the way of the future. I understand the, the comparison with, with emission standards, and it's a good, good and fair point. That said, we even know from the Biden administration's own studies, that the power grid in America can't support this. It's true. It is empowering China by this push to EVs, and it's destroying American jobs, at least in the short run. How does this climate orthodoxy that the president continues down not just hand voters to Donald Trump? Well, you're mixing two issues. There needs to be an upgrade of the electrical grid, no doubt. And that's not on the auto companies or the UAW. But that's something everybody agrees, Republicans and Democrats, need to have to happen, especially after the Inflation Reduction Act and all that money that was put into, uh, you know, addressing climate change. Um, the fact of the matter is, if the UAW has its way and the auto companies have their way by dragging their feet, China will control the auto industry, not electric vehicles, but everything 20, 30 years from now. And that's exactly what Joe Biden's trying to keep from happening. When he talks about, you know, governing from the middle out and the bottom up, that's who he, he's trying to help the very people okay. who are in these unions. All right. Fair enough. We'll see. We'll see in a couple of weeks whether the strike is averted yes, either way. It's good to have you back. Thank you so much. Fun to see you. Appreciate it. All right. Nothing gets the media's attention like a UAW strike, but nothing really gets their attention. I mean, full on disaster coverage, like 70,000 wealthy Americans stuck in a temporary disaster of their own making. Here, here's just a bit of our competitors covering this year's Burning Man Festival in the Nevada desert. Tens of thousands of festival goers are trapped in the remote Black Rock Desert about 100 miles from Reno. Two to three months of rain fell in just a matter of hours. It left tens of thousands stranded in the mud with dwindling supplies. Following intense rain, thousands remain stuck in Black Rock City. That's the site of Burning Man. And tonight, authorities are actually confirming a death investigation is underway. Yeah. Death didn't have anything to do with the rain. Bunch of rich folks who went to the desert, got naked, did all sorts of drugs, and proved their cultural enlightenment until, well, just before it started to rain. 
it really looked apocalyptic. When you see the people walking the barefoot in such a cold with the children. A lot of people are simply picking up what they can carry and walking all the way back to the main gate road to meet with prearranged transportation such as Uber. They are literally just abandoning their campsites. Got a little mini river we're eating through. Don't get stuck in the mini river. Colby Hall is here, founding editor at Mediaite, on balance, resident philosopher. Colby, I just feel like the irony is totally lost on everyone covering this like it's a hurricane or a wildfire. Yeah, I don't know whether it's a laugh or a cry over the coverage. It's more the former than the latter. I think um, I think there was indications initially that it um, was some sort of brewing humanitarian crisis, when really it was just <clears throat> play stupid games, win stupid prizes. It rained, and uh, people, rich dudes, tech bros, ad execs who were going through midlife crises, whatever, you know, when the going got tough, they dipped, they left. And it's kind of embarrassing for those people. You know, there's some deeper context to this event that was artists, artists, and there were some principles of like, leave no trace. Well, there's a bunch of celebrities that were like, no, I'm, I don't like it now. I'm just leaving, which really flouted the whole sort of principles behind it. So, yeah, it's kind of it's yeah. kind of silly. A, a lot of schadenfreude going on right now. I just think it's great, though, right? Like you got all these people who are going to you know, come together in the commune, the four of us, the four days of of not in any way, uh, you know, being capitalists. They're going to all be together. Everything's free. We're going to share the drugs together. And then as soon as bad things happen, right, where is the government to come rescue us? And the celebrities, the, the biggest celebrities, and I don't even know this DJ's name, but evidently they hired some kind of pickup truck or got somebody with one of the high lift pickup trucks, Chris Rock this DJ, uh, some supermodel, to, to, to abandon all of their fellow Burning Man attendees so that they could save themselves from the mud. To your point, I mean, it's, it's, it's silly. It was DJ Diplo, and he oh. told a story on a TikTok video of Chris Rock, and they just left because they wanted to get out. Hold, hold on, uh, I'm going to stop you. We, you have have it. we have it. We oh, have great. it. Take a listen. <laughs> <laughs> If I could get a cold brew right now, I would just. Yeah, worst the comedy se- only lasts through the first rain. Worst sequel to Mad Max ever. Yeah, no, again, it's like communism and community works great when you kind of go through it thick and thin. But, you know, the moment yeah. that the going got tough, they called an Uber to escape and. It's just a shame. Neil Kachal, the former Obama Solicitor General and frequent MSNBC contributor, he had tweeted that he escaped a harrowing six-mile hike. Um, oh, Grover must have been, it must have been terrible. I mean, it's, like, yeah, it's almost no, like it my six-mile – look, it's like my six-mile walk on the golf course. It must, have been, it must have been terrible. Although, to be fair, it was scary at times. I don't know if you saw this, but evidently there was so much rain – that the dormant eggs of the three-eyed dinosaur shrimp appeared. And this is true. We've checked it out. We have pictures. We have pictures of the dinosaur shrimp. And oh, we don't, I'm told we don't have the pictures. But this was my question is that you think about it, and they're scary looking. Whether people were there, they'd done, they'd done so many edibles, right? It's, is this a side effect of the edibles, or is this really the end of time? This is end times. The triops yeah. is what they're called have emerged. 
it's like it's literally like the opening scene of a dystopian sci-fi film and the rain and the desert lake and unleashed the three-eyed shrimp that were mutants and took over the world let's hope that that doesn't happen but you know it truth is often stranger than fiction so yeah a lot of hilarity to emerge from just we're gonna try we're gonna effort the three-eyed shrimp because there are pictures I have on good authority, and I'm going to. Uh, we're going to try to bring those to you at a future date. Colby, it's good, good to see you. The first good lady of the United you. States has COVID. Uh, Joe Biden tested positive, and the White House doesn't want to talk about it. New proof: COVID mandates were more about power than public health. What that means for the fall spike in cases. Plus, Gavin Newsom is suddenly okay with fossil fuels. Should Republicans be worried or thrilled? And new signs, the California governor is running for president. Newsome Watch is next. What's your emergency? And then you tell them what your emergency is and your address, and then they come. We take for granted. You need help, you call 911. They answer. Except in many American cities, large cities, especially like Austin, Texas where police put out this helpful flyer. If you get robbed on your way back from a bank or ATM, call 311 or make an online report. 311 being the city's non-emergency line for things like clogged sewer drains and potholes. To be fair, Austin PD is busy. Compared to 2020, Austin has had a 77% increase in auto thefts, an 18% increase in aggravated assaults, a 30% increase in murders. And they appear to have, well, now more time for robberies. After four days of getting hammered by the public, they issued a correction or a clarification. When a robbery occurs, callers should, in fact, report these calls to 911. No promise on how long it's going to take for police to arrive. Here with us now, National Second Vice President of the Fraternal Order of Police, John Hoyt. John, it's good to see you. We appreciate it. Um, Haley Turner, uh, one of our senior producers this morning, talked about this story as sort of a warning, right, for the scary future that's ahead, not just for Austin and big cities, but for a lot of cities across the country. Absolutely. I mean, just when you think it can't get much worse, you see a policy that's driven as a result of misguided politicians and their policymaking, driving good law enforcement out of out of a city like Austin. And I wish I could tell you Austin is the only city you're seeing that in, but it's not. It's, it's uh, not the exception. It's more the rule nowadays. Yeah, 800... 800- Plus, officers have left Austin PD since 2017, uh, 400 vacancies right now. And, and, and who can blame a lot of people for not wanting to show up? We have talked a lot about Try This in a Small Town. That's the, the, sh- the, the song that got so much backlash from Jason Aldean about small towns taking care of each other and people taking care of each other and not allowing uh, people to sort of get out of line because there is no police in a lot of small towns in rural America, like where I spent a lot of time growing up. I'm wondering if now that same ethos is going to have to come to big cities because of, as you pointed out, big city departments are understaffed. Even in Washington, D.C., it can be 10 or 15 minutes for officers to arrive. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I've been a proud Philadelphia Police Department uh, officer for 24 years. Uh, work with some of the best men and women around. The problem is, is when they retire or they leave for an easier assignment, there's nobody that wants to replace them. And, you know, it's 
multiple reasons. It's what we talked about for years with uh, embracing broken windows theory. What made the United States so safe for so many years? We abandoned because of uh, misguided politicians. And now to get somebody uh, in their 20s to sign up for this in a city like Philadelphia with rogue district attorneys and policymakers, it's a hard ask. And it's not yeah, just uh, Philadelphia, uh, I, I, it's I Boston. Guess- I'd, I'd ask it to you this way, I mean, because you've got on one side this flyer coming out, which is, hey, call 311, which basically tells robbers, hey, it's open season. People are being told not to call the police. But the flip side, from the police standpoint, I'd ask you, I mean, would you ever tell, would you tell your son or daughter now to sign up to be a cop? Well, that's a great point. And that's one of the things we talk about at the FOP is we were always a, our best marketers. So it's generational. I'm first generation law enforcement, but that was always a huge thing is that you would see generation after generation following their father or mother's footsteps. You're not seeing that anymore because the realities of what uh, some people have made this job. You know, we talk about the numbers and how short we are and like you said, 30 percent increase in homicides in Austin. That's important. But the other thing we're not talking about is the human element. All right. So when you're the victim of a crime, the victim of a robbery, you've been something of yours has been taken by force from somebody else. And for most people, it's going to be one of the most traumatic experiences of their life. And when we tell them to yeah. just call 311 and make a report, there's a lot more to law enforcement than taking yeah, reports. No, I, look, you, you make, you, John, you make, you make a great point about the victims um, as well that are, that are always lost. My mother, my mother taught, taught me that. But it's, look, it's not only policing. It's also the military and, and others where the generations just aren't, aren't following in the footsteps. we got to run, but thank you very much. Coming up, Alex Murdoch claims a court clerk tampered with the jury in his murder trial. Is this the get-out-of-jail-free card for the man convicted of killing his wife and son? And those affidavits is serious. This is a very serious matter. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corian's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corian.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corian.com. We never considered the likelihood as reported to us by the jurors that the clerk of court would go in to the sanctity of the jury room before he testified and tell the jurors don't be fooled by his testimony watch out for his body language and if that is true which we have every reason to believe that it is and no reason to believe that it's not there's no choice but the courts to grant a new trial that's one of the attorneys for the convicted murderer, Alex Murdaugh, talking about their request for a new trial and the brutal killings of Murdaugh's wife and son. They say the clerk in the case, Rebecca Hill, had improper communications with jurors and essentially told them not to trust Murdaugh. The lawyers also say the clerk talked directly with the jury foreperson as part of a pressure campaign to get a conviction. 
Those lawyers join Chris next hour. Chris is with us now. Boy, I mean, like, just another twist and turn. What I'm sort of most fascinated about is the why some clerk of court would allegedly do this. That's the best question, right? What was her motivation? I think uh, she signed a deal for a book during this process. Is she a Murdoch fan? I have to tell you, though, it is very rare to hear jurors speak against the interest of the verdict the way they say they have with these affidavits and that the jurors will, you know, testify to the same, obviously, which is what the purpose of the sworn statement is. He could very likely get a new trial because the way the process works is if they have like a reasonable showing, I I believe that reasonable in this uh, in this context means preponderance of the effort, uh, evidence, which is 50% plus one, then the burden shifts to the prosecution to prove that this was harmless, what she did. And I don't know how you prove that it was harmless. And I think they have a real chance here. You and I covered the verdict together. It was really a wild night uh, when it happened. Um, I, you, you understand this better than most. I got 30 or 40 seconds. What, what is the lawyer's case for the next jury is going to have a different verdict? Well, look, I mean, this is the burden of our system. They're not saying they're not even arguing that the evidence wasn't there. Um, They're arguing that the process was perverted and that's all they need to get a new trial. Could he lose again? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, But you got to do it the right way. And this is the burden with all prosecutions. And we see it in our politics as well. You know, the the legitimacy of the prosecution matters and they have a case to make these guys. Yeah, it's wild. As soon as I heard about it this morning, I knew you were going to have some great guests on it. And I know you'll have some good questions for them about how a new trial uh, could play out. Uh, top of the hour there, uh, the trial attorneys for Murdoch. Pretty cool that the attorneys are sticking by him um, through all this and through the appeal. Chris, thanks. We'll see you in a minute. Uh, some of your thoughts post Labor Day weekend when we come back. We got something new coming to the show tomorrow. It involves how you tell us what you think of the program. To be the first to know, follow us at Leland Vittert, Instagram, and that thing that used to be known as Twitter. It's now known as X, both at Leland Vittert. We'll see you for that tomorrow. Chris is up next with the interview you do not want to mix. Alex Murdaugh's attorneys on why the convicted murderer should get a new trial. 